Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Well, along with the change of the seasons, it certainly feels like there is change in the air when it comes to the Bitcoin cycle of life. While I don't want to jinx anything, it certainly feels like a bull market phase has certainly begun. Obviously, the exuberance phase or the euphoria phase is a long way away still. Typically, that comes after Bitcoin reclaims its previous all-time high, and we see that steady up and to the right go just extremely vertical, rocket ship to the moon. Uh, and that, you know, that normally happens 6 to 18 months after or begins 6 to 18 months after the halving. So it would be expected to see that, you know, around a year from Thanksgiving, the end of next November or the beginning of next December, if history repeats or certainly rhymes. I do feel confident saying at least that we are finally in the optimism phase. Plebs are at least starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. For those familiar with the psychology of a market phase, you begin in the optimism phase and then you get to the excitement phase and then the, the kind of you, the extended thrill phase before you peak with the euphoria phase, which then begins the downward trend with the anxiety phase, the fear, denial, depression phase, uh, and finally, once again, depression gives way back to optimism. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. All right, as I said, welcome back to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 8th, 2023, and of course that means it is DCA Wednesday, so before we get into the news and before we make that DCA Wednesday stack, before we add to our pile of Bitcoin, our pile of Satoshis, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of recording, we are at a blockchain height of 815,910, and Bitcoin is clocking in at a US dollar value of $35,545, or 2,813 sats per dollar, and that is the highest we have seen Bitcoin in several months, in many months, certainly the highest since I believe it was uh, last May, potentially. I have to scroll back through my notes and check, but I'm getting a little off track. This puts us currently 24,090 blocks away from the next halving. As you know, the minor reward that miners receive for finding the next Bitcoin block is cut in half every 210,000 blocks. The next time that happens is going to be at block 840,000, so just over 24,000 blocks to go. And right now, that's looking like that will occur on April 20th of 2024. We had been uh, forecasting April 21st, 2024 for the last five or six weeks. So it looks like that scooched up a little bit earlier back on Elon Musk's favorite holiday. If, uh, if that occurs, of course, we won't know when the halving's going to happen until it occurs, because obviously that's just an estimate based on how fast blocks are coming in on average. Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $694.4 billion. That's just under $700 billion, obviously, for those of you who aren't very good at math. I guess that's stating the obvious, right? Um, so we have not eclipsed 700 billion, but boy, Bitcoin's trying. It's been flirting with that $36,000 mark a couple times today. I thought we'd be over 36K already at a couple of points. Uh, we'll have to see where that goes. Hopefully not before we make our DCA stack. And for those of you who value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it'll currently cost you 18.4 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. That is an extra 0.3 ounces of gold since last DCA Wednesday. And obviously, we're over a full pound of gold now to purchase just one Bitcoin. As I always say, as they always say, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. And if you're one of those holdouts, if you're a Peter Schiff type gold bug who just doesn't grok Bitcoin, that price is currently 18.4 ounces of gold. 
uh, and it's not going to be long at all before we're talking about pounds of gold. I mean, we're already talking about one pound, 2.4 ounces of gold. So buckle up, buttercup. If you're looking at getting into getting into Bitcoin, transitioning out of that old-fashioned gold into the new electronic gold, time is running out. Time's never running out. You'll be able to buy Bitcoin forever. But to be able to get in at a somewhat decent price of only 18.4 ounces of gold per one Bitcoin, that window's closing rapidly. And for those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,987 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. Almost 2,000 large pepperoni pizzas. That is one pizza every day for more than five years. We're pushing five and a half years worth of pizza now for just one Bitcoin. A heck of a lot more pizza than Laszlo got on the very first Bitcoin pizza day, that is for sure. Thank you, Laszlo, for making that purchase, though, because we're, you know, you're one of the reasons we're here. And speaking of purchases and on-chain transactions, the mempool is looking a, a little more bloated than it was last week. There are currently 65 blocks worth of transactions in Clark Moody's mempool, and that is up from the 57 transactions pending last week. But the huge change, and this is gigantic, is that Clark Moody's a fee recommendation to guarantee that your on-chain transaction is included in the next block has soared from last week. We were looking at 20 sats per V-byte all the way up to 102 sats per V-byte. I can't remember the last time we saw over 100 sats per V-byte to get an on-chain transaction guaranteed in the next block. Mempool.space is usually estimating that it's a little bit cheaper, but they are in total agreement, also recommending a fee of 102 sats per V-byte for a high-priority transaction. At current prices, that works out to $5.08 to get to uh, guarantee that transaction's mined in the next block. Of course, if you don't mind waiting, uh, Clark Moody's fee recommendation is still saying, a, a fee, fee estimator is still saying that a fee of 12 sats per V-byte will be mined within a day. And if you've got a little bit longer to wait, two sats per V-byte will still be mined in a week. I would not hold my breath, though, because uh, that activity has been picking up. And if activity continues to pick up, those fees are only getting it more expensive. Nowhere near as expensive as we saw during the hash wars or the previous, the previous, not the previous bull, uh, not the previous bull run, but I guess the bull run before that in 2017, when Bitcoin set its all-time high of just under twenty thousand dollars. At the time, I remember I foolishly was trying to do an on-chain transaction. I wanted to consolidate some Bitcoin. Boy, was it the wrong time to do it because the fee estimator was saying it was going to cost more than 50 US dollars uh, to move my Bitcoin on chain. And that um, that was with Bitcoin only worth like less than $20,000. So it was a heck of a lot more Satoshis than than it would be right now because $50 of the Bitcoin now, we'd be talking, you know, a thousand sats per V-byte. Uh, and that's at the current price. So which is triple or almost double uh, what it was then. So uh, still not as expensive as it could be. And, you know, if you know how to use replace by fee and a lot of your wallets will help you with that now or child pays for parent. Uh, maybe you can try those lower fees, but be prepared to bump it up if it doesn't get confirmed and you're uh, running out of time and, and can't wait. Hopefully, though, we will see, you know, this cool off a little bit during the weekend or particularly cool off in general, because it looks like a lot of this activity is being driven by that ordinals and inscriptions nonsense. We had seen that fall off, almost go to zero in September. But uh, according to an article at Coindesk right now in a graph they have accompanying it, uh, we're at the same level we were prior to that uh, drop-off, almost record levels now of ordinals and transcriptions nonsense. With their headline, Bitcoin fees soar nearly 1,000% since August as ordinals are back in vogue. And they go on to say higher fees are also boosting the bottom line for the industry's beleaguered miners. Uh, so that's not a bad thing. And in fact, I noticed that the last couple blocks were coming in with a with a, uh, a block value of more than seven Bitcoin. Of course, the minor reward is 6.25 new Bitcoin until the halving. So the coming, they were coming in around seven to seven and a half Bitcoin, which means more than a full Bitcoin in fees per block. And, and that's just insane. So hopefully those ordinals and, and inscriptions go away because, man, if that was ever not the ultimate slap in the face uh, lesson in unintended consequences for everyone out there who wants to continuously introduce their their little clever ways to improve Bitcoin. Stop! Don't Bitcoin is already perfect as a layer one technology. We don't need to be concentrating on the on the on the first layer of Bitcoin right now. 
um, in my humble opinion. And lest we implement anything that's going to backfire on us, kind of like this ordinals and inscriptions uh, fiasco. And I know people are touting the fact that it's helping the, the quote unquote industry's beleaguered miners, but the miners know what they're into. They know that there's a having coming up and they know that the gravy is going to start pouring again in about a year or so. Uh, they're not as beleaguered as you might think. Most of them, at least the intelligent miners, uh, you know, this is the they they've, they planned for this, and they're and they took the opportunity uh, when hash when the uh, rate the cost of ASICs, the cost per hash per terahash, was extremely low to uh, expand their operations. So they're going to be sitting pretty. I wouldn't worry too much about the miners. All right, that metric you know I like to follow. Bitcoin's twenty four hour average transaction volume is also soaring up at 6.9 transactions per second currently that's more than one and a half more that's more almost one and a half transactions more than last wednesday when it was zooming in at 5.57 transactions per second obviously we haven't seen levels this high since uh, the peak of the ordinals and inscriptions in steria and it you've got to go months back all the way back to august before we even see 6.48 transactions per second so prior to ordinals I would say that anytime we saw more than 3.14 transactions per second, that was indicative of a bull market, a rally in Bitcoin prices. And that's not any official or expert transaction analysis. That was just my observation that every Wednesday when I did this podcast, if transaction volume was more than 3.14 per second, then the price was going up. Uh, and it, that was without fail this entire last two and a half years that we've been doing this podcast. Then ordinals and, and transcriptions, inscriptions, I'm sorry, blew that out of the water because by allowing hundreds and hundreds of tiny transactions to pack data into the witness segment of the, of the transaction, uh, we started seeing transaction bloat. And so before, whereas we would almost never see more than four transactions per second, uh, we saw almost eight transactions per second at the peak of the hysteria. I think the highest we ever saw on a Bitcoin Bulletin podcast episode was 7.73 transactions per second, but we're closing in on that now. Boy, howdy. Speaking of on-chain activity and difficulty and minor reward, we are getting closer to the next Bitcoin mining difficulty adjustment. We are approximately 570 blocks away from the next mining difficulty adjustment. The previous difficulty adjustment was an increase of 3.1%. If you're not familiar, the Bitcoin protocol adjusts the difficulty it takes to find the next block every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks, with the goal of keeping blocks coming in at an average of 10 minutes in between blocks. If they're coming in faster, the difficulty goes up to slow it down. If they're coming in slower, the difficulty decreases to speed them up. And right now we're looking like the next difficulty adjustment is also going to be an increase of anywhere between 2.88 and 3.1%. And that is because blocks are currently averaging 9 minutes and 42 seconds this difficulty epic. And that has slowed down a little bit from last Wednesday when they were coming in at 9 minutes and 22 seconds. And that's, why I guess, why we've seen the estimate streamline. Last week it was looking like it was going to be, I mean, the the... The, uh, the guesses were all over the place. It was going to be an increase of anywhere between 0.6 and 6.3%. So the higher end came down to 3.1 and the lower end came up from 0.6 to 2.88. And that also makes sense because, you know, we've got more data in now. We have uh, 1,500 or so, 1,500 or so of those 2,000 blocks uh, to increase our data sample to give us a little better, better idea of, of what that's going to look like. So if you're mining Bitcoin... Either way you slice it, it looks like it's going to get about 3% more difficult in just a couple days from now. It looks like about four days from now on, a, on November 12th-ish. Again, that's subject to chain because change that because that's going to occur at a specific block, not at a specific time. And if blocks are coming in faster, that time will get become sooner. If they're coming in slower, that, that might get pushed out a little bit. Real quick, I want to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 up, such as Fountain. And as you know, Fountain is, a is well, I, I like to say it's a brand new way to listen to podcasts, but it isn't so new anymore. But podcasting 2.0 lets you support your favorite podcasts by streaming sats on a value-for-value -value basis or by sending boostograms, which are a way to support your favorite podcast by sending a message as a lightning transaction. And we, we have another boost to read. And this is actually from the last DCA Wednesday episode. I did not read this on our weekend update episode because, uh, quite frankly, I, I, 
I, I forgot. <laughs> so sorry, Leggy. But normally I read them on our DCA Wednesday episodes. And so if I do read them on a special episode, like a weekend update episode, or in this case, the November, remember the 5th of November, um, Gunpowder Rebellion episode, uh, then I end up reading them again on Wednesday because I don't want the people who are accustomed to listening every Wednesday to miss their shout out, their boost being read on the air. So Leggy boosted us 3,000 sats, referenced that DCA Wednesday episode and saying, being debt-free is nice, but I don't see a problem in shorting fiat for getting more sats. The sailor way, question mark? Leggy, I guess this is a you-do-you situation, and in general, I think you're right. I don't, I have never purchased Bitcoin on margin, and I've never taken out debt to purchase Bitcoin. I know people who have, and as long as it's debt they can manage, I mean, everybody, most people have some sort of debt, whether you have a mortgage for your house or a car payment or student loans, heaven forbid. So people are used to balancing debt, but when debt gets in the way or if the economy takes a turn south and you end up losing your job or taking a pay cut and not being able to pay off that debt, then I wouldn't want you to get in trouble, especially if it's a situation where your Bitcoin will get liquidated at a loss. So that is a you-do-you thing. Leggy, if you're comfortable taking on a little bit of debt and just like Michael Saylor is, then more power to you. I would add that Michael Saylor isn't necessarily taking on debt per se. He is issuing bonds, which is taking on debt. But um, I believe all of those have been convertible bonds, which means if if the, if the it hits the fan, he doesn't have to pay you back. You can get stock in his company, which will dilute you know, shareholder value. And a lot of companies are loath to do that because it upsets shareholders. And Michael Saylor's the biggest shareholder, so it would hurt him as well. But it's convertible debt. So that's not quite the same as taking out a home equity loan to buy Bitcoin, you know, a second mortgage on your house, like we saw some people do. Uh, And one of them worked out great. And I'm happy to see that. I I forget who it was, but if you were following on Reddit, there was an individual that uh, took out a mortgage on, on his house for Bitcoin and 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 the timing in his case worked out, but man, that that's kind of gambling. So uh, thank you for the boost leggy. And again, this is you do you, and I don't hold it against you. If you want to take out a little bit of debt, but I would advise to be careful. Obviously, you know what you're doing. You're an adult. You can make your own decisions. And thank you. Thank you for that boost. And speaking of listeners, our geographic distribution of listeners is roughly the same as it's been for months now. As much as I'd like to see Bitcoin ossify, the one thing that appears to have ossified is where y'all are listening from. As usual, most of you are listening from the United States, a little more than half of you. So Thank you to those of you listening right here in the United States. Number two remains Argentina. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Argentina. Number three remains Germany. So danke schön, mein friends in Deutschland. Number four remains Luxembourg. Again, danke schön, or morien, to our friends in Luxembourg. Number five remains Canada. So hello to our friends as, uh, as we like to say, the frozen great white north, or as Greg Foss likes to say, hiding in America's attic. And he's a Canadian, so I guess he can say that. Number six remains Spain, so muchas gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia, once again, muchas gracias. Number eight remains Sweden, so thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. I still don't know how to say hello in Swedish. One of you one, one day is going to reach out and, and tell me that. I just logged into our email to double-check that nobody had, had emailed to let me know. Number nine remains Singapore. Also, I don't know a customary greeting for those of you listening in Singapore. So reach out on Twitter at BTC Bulletin Pod and DM me and let me know, how do I say hello? What's a customary greeting in Sweden? What's a customary greeting in Singapore? And I'll do it properly next time. Number 10 remains Venezuela. So muchos gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. And muchos gracias and thank you. Danke schön. Muy bien. Whatever you say, wherever you are, thank you for listening. I do appreciate all of you. I was scrolling through the total list. And when you break down into the fractions of percent of listeners, we have listeners in almost every country in the world. And that is really, really satisfying to see that it, it really, it's, it is like a great big internet hug to see that you guys are out there listening from all corners of the, of the earth. And that makes me feel really happy. And hopefully uh, you're getting some value out of listening and that, uh, and that, that improves your life or at least makes you happy or brings you some entertainment value, if nothing else. On to the news. As I mentioned, the big question remains, are we in a bull market? I think most people in crypto Twitter, most people out there are comfortable now in saying we are in a bull market. I don't want to jinx it and make any official calls. I don't have a crystal ball. I do want to say that as a reminder, in 2019, our cycle low came, uh, I guess 2020, our cycle low came just two months prior 
to the having, and that was a black swan event because of the lockdowns, because of the virus. But that's kind of the point, right? That's why they call it a black swan. Nobody can see it coming. Nobody can tell the future. So if we had expected it, it would have already been priced in, right? I, I don't believe that I'm saying that tongue in cheek. But that being said, I am perpetually bullish. Bitcoin will keep going up and to the right over the long term. Forever, or as Michael Saylor so famously said, forever, Laura, forever. And speaking of Michael Saylor, he was on CNBC the other day talking about the upcoming halving and said, you're going to see 12 billion of natural selling per year converted into 6 billion of natural selling per year. And as a result, he was forecasting that the price of Bitcoin will eventually 10x from where it is at right now. So approximately 350,000. I, I think he was referring to this bull run, not eventually, because he, he believes it'll be going up forever for Laura forever, uh, way more than just 350,000. But Saylor has said in the past that he has laid out several criteria that he thought were holding back Bitcoin, at least holding back significant institutional money, institutional adoption. And some of those criteria he pointed out have already been met, like the change in the gap accounting rules, which made it a real pain in the tuchus for American companies to hold Bitcoin because just like MicroStrategy, they were required to mark their Bitcoin down when the price dropped. And so on paper, they had to report that they had a loss of billions of dollars, even though they didn't because they hadn't sold any. And then when the price of Bitcoin recovered, they weren't allowed to revalue their Bitcoin. They had to make it, keep it marked down unless they were to sell it. And then they could, you know, then it would reflect what, what they sold it for. But since they're not selling, it made MicroStrategy look like they were losing billions, even though they're in the green now on their Bitcoin purchase. So the gap rules have been changed. I think that's happening at the end of this year. Uh, and there were other things that he laid out that he would like to see, and, and pretty much all of them have come true already. He also called out the altcoin market as diverting investment away from Bitcoin, adding, quote, when the industry takes its eyes away from the shiny little tokens that have distracted and demolished shareholder value, I think the industry moves to the next level and we 10x from here. So uh, I don't think we're going to see S coins go away anytime soon. Certainly they, you know, when the price of Bitcoin goes up that, you know, they tend to ride on the, on the coattails of Bitcoin. So when we get an explosion of Bitcoin price, as we begin the next bull run, the euphoria phase really kicks in. Then you see the, the, the scams and the crypto altcoins just flood the market. I see no reason why that won't happen basically forever because scammers have been around since the beginning of time. And if a scammer sees an opportunity, they're going to take advantage of it. Even if, you know, the government tries to crack down on altcoins, et cetera, because when have scammers ever give, ever cared about the law, right? You know, what FTX did was illegal already. We didn't need new regulations to prevent SBF from scamming people with FTX. And that happened anyway. So uh, I'm not confident that, that the crypto scams will ever ever go away but bitcoin's dominance in the market will continue to increase and that is at least a good thing so back to if we're in a bull market according to investopedia who they define a bull market as the condition of a financial market in which prices are rising or are expected to rise the term bull market is most often used to refer to the stock market but can be applied to anything that is traded, such as bonds, real estate, currencies, and commodities. Investopedia also says that at least when it comes to the stock market, the commonly accepted definition of a bull market is when stock prices rise by 20%. Well, Bitcoin has risen by a lot more than 20%. In fact, it's up over 100% for the year now. Uh, and so 20% isn't, isn't, isn't what we commonly use in the on crypto Twitter or in the in the Bitcoin space, Bitcoin Twitter, it's generally accepted amongst most Bitcoin OGs that the bull market officially begins when Bitcoin doubles the cycle low. That's a tricky call because you know if the cycle low is fifteen upper fifteen thousand range, round up to sixteen thousand, that means we entered a bull market when uh, Bitcoin broke thirty two thousand, uh, but it did that and then plummeted back down into the twenty range. And we don't even know if there's going to be another black swan that might cause an even lower cycle low before the halving. Anything is possible. So I guess we only really know in hindsight, but I can tell you it certainly feels a lot more optimistic out there. As I mentioned in the beginning, on the lead into this podcast, I think we've definitely entered the optimism phase. And so, and so with it comes the looming bull market. Uh, I think it was Adam Meister officially called 
that we were in the bear market or we were out of the bear market in the bull market that first time Bitcoin eclipsed $32,000 and uh, he never really retracted that. So maybe he continues to think that even with that dip was just a diversion, you know, a temporary distraction in the, in the, in the bear market, in the bull run. But I, uh, I think that's, I think that's neither here nor there. I think, like, as I mentioned, you'll, it's, it's kind of like they say the definition of pornography. It's hard to define, but you'll know it when you see it. And in this case, uh, I'm starting to feel it. So maybe we are, maybe we aren't, but, TikTok next block, that having's coming up fast. April 20th will be here faster than you know it. It seems like just the other day we were in the middle of summer, and then all of a sudden people were getting excited about the spooky season and Halloween, and now we're just two weeks away from Thanksgiving, and as soon as that happens, the Christmas trees and wreaths will be coming out, and it'll be either Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate in your family, and then we're talking four months before the Bitcoin halving, and then... The Bitcoin halving parties happen, and then the halving is in the history books, and it'll be impossible to deny that we're in a bull run, at least if history repeats itself or at least rhymes, and there's no reason to believe it won't. Speaking of stocks, it appears Bitcoin has continued to shake off its alleged correlation with stocks. As you know, the price of Bitcoin has soared in the last few weeks while markets were mostly down. Then we saw mostly sideways week in Bitcoin while the stock, while the stock markets rallied a little bit. And now the markets are down again today, and Bitcoin is testing that $36,000 range. So um, that is good to see, because for the longest time, it really did look like there was some correlation, at least if you looked on the micro level, it looked like there might have been some correlation with, with stock markets. Some people have even said that the halving cycle isn't really anything to do with the halving, but it's to do with presidential elections here in the United States and, and the, the kind of loose fiscal policy that comes along with that. But uh, I don't put any, put any weight into that. I think it's more likely that we're we're starting to see um, that optimism phase. And I think the mainstream media is finally starting to recognize Bitcoin as a safe haven asset. For example, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how BlackRock CEO Larry Fink had called uh, Bitcoin, money flowing into Bitcoin, a flight to quality. Uh, so I think as the economy starts to show signs of cracking and signs of stress, you know, that Bitcoin fixes this, right? Bitcoin is a store of value. Over the long trend, Bitcoin has been the greatest store of value ever invented, ever discovered in human history. And so more and more, the more and more people, and in, in this case, companies, seem to recognize that that's only good for Bitcoin and will only help increase the price. Speaking of Bitcoin bulls, Plan B is once again defending his stock-to-flow model on Twitter, posting this weekend uh, a graph, basically his dot plot, and says, see those three red Bitcoin pumps all after... After all three halvings, every 210,000 blocks slash four years, stock-to-flow haters want you to believe that was random, a spurious correlation. In my opinion, stock-to-flow will be correct again, and we will see another red pump after April 2024 halving. Time will tell. I've heard some very compelling arguments for stock-to-flow, and I've heard some very compelling arguments for why you cannot apply stock-to-flow, at least if it's commonly understood, to Bitcoin, um, but... My understanding of stock-to-flow is that it's basically common-sense supply and demand and that it has to do with, as Michael Saylor pointed out, the amount of Bitcoin for sale on exchanges is usually related to the amount of Bitcoin being mined because most Bitcoin hasn't moved in forever because hodlers, plebs, are getting it and they're stacking it and they're putting it on their cold cards or their trezors or their hardware wallets. And it's, and it's never going to move again. It's never going to see the light of day until we're on a Bitcoin standard. And therefore, if you want to purchase Bitcoin or if a big shot like Michael Saylor wants to purchase Bitcoin, they have to get it from a commercial company that's mining Bitcoin and selling it. And that's going to get cut in half in April, on approximately April 20th of 2024. When it does, if you want to buy Bitcoin or if you have to buy Bitcoin because you're an ETF and you need to meet customer demand, then you got to pay the price that whoever has the Bitcoin is willing to sell it is asking. That puts the sellers in the driver's seat, and that is always good for price accumulation. So regardless of what you think of the uh, stock-to-flow model, there's no denying that supply and demand plays a role in the value of everything. All right. So as they say in the musical The Book of Mormon, now we get to the part of the story that is a little bit sad. Despite the exuberance in stock markets last week, reality is setting back in in the traditional financial markets with headlines, for example, on Yahoo Finance. Wall Street's longest win streak in two, win streak in two years in jeopardy as rally fades. 
Companies are starting, and this is my own words here, companies are starting to revise their profit forecast downwards as consumers appear to be stretched to the breaking point. And NBC News reported uh, just, just today with the headline, credit card balances spiked in the third quarter to a record $1.08 trillion. Here's how we got there. Or as Business Insider more starkly put it with their headline, Americans notched the biggest annual increase in credit card debt on record last quarter. If you remember, it was months ago that I first commented on reports that people were resorting to purchasing their groceries, their food on buy now, pay later plans, that people don't have as much money as they used to have. And it isn't just that inflation is going through the roof and groceries are getting more expensive. Despite the fact we're being told this is the best economy in 40 years and that more jobs are continuously being created, everybody knows somebody who is laid off from a well-paying job that now has to get two or three lesser-paying jobs just to make ends meet. They're not making as much money as they used to as they used to get. Uh, you know, friends of mine that are in the real estate business are closing on fewer houses. The real estate bubble appears to be waning in most of the country. So pretty much everybody's trying to live on less money and things are getting more expensive. And as a result, Americans and people all over the world are maxing out their credit cards. Of course, the inevitable consequences of consumers loading up on so much debt is the looming default. We saw this in the 2008 housing crash and with home prices falling and mortgage rates through the roof, it wouldn't be illogical to assume we were going to see an uptick in foreclosures again as people who have to move because maybe they get transferred or they lost their job and they can't afford to live where they're currently living, so they have to sell their house, are now forced with trying to sell a house that they owe more on than what it's currently valued at, which is exactly what we happened in 2008. And so instead of paying off their existing mortgage, they walk away or the house gets foreclosed on. But the housing market aside, we're already seeing cracks appear in the consumer finance industry with headlines like on MarketWatch, delinquencies are up as credit card debt hits a record 1.08 trillion. Millennials are driving the increase. I don't think they're, they're digging on millennials here. Uh, they go on to say that delinquency rates on credit card bills continue to rise with the sharpest increase among borrowers aged 30 to 39, according to the New York Fed. Well, that totally makes sense because the people aged 30 to 39 are the young people who've just got their careers. They've just got their first houses, maybe if they can afford one. They've got young children. That's, that's getting more expensive. You know, kids are going to eat more. They're going to go to college hopefully one day or whatever their plan is. So obviously the millennials are out there at the point in their life where they're where they need to spend the most money and when and they're getting hit the hardest because uh, they're at that point now when we're seeing record inflation. Remember though this isn't all gloom and doom. You are already sitting in the lifeboat. Obviously Bitcoin fixes this, but as Matt Odell often says, people need to touch the stove. People need to get burnt. You can't make people help themselves until they you, know, you can't you can't convince something you can't convince somebody something is good for them until they need it. Picture the global economy as one of those massive cruise ships sailing the ocean. Like the economy, there are a lot of there's a lot of momentum behind a 250,000 ton ship. It literally takes miles for them to stop at an emergency. If someone falls overboard, they might be able to chuck you a life ring, but usually they signal other boats to come help and help find this person because by the time they get turned around or stopped, they're miles away and a person being a dot in the ocean is pretty hard to find. So uh, just like just like a cruise ship, there's a lot of momentum in the economy. Even when things are starting to falter, even if the emergency is already occurring, you know, we still start trending higher and higher, kind of like a rocket, you know, uh, a suborbital rocket, like the Virgin Galactic Spaceship One. It it only has like a 90 second, a minute and a half rocket burn, and then the rocket motor burns out, but it keeps going for like 50 miles up into the atmosphere as it continues to coast higher and higher and higher while it bleeds off its momentum. And then it begins the ballistic arc and falls back to Earth. And so it is with the economy. The passengers on this cruise ship analogy are kind of like, you know, your, your friends and family. They're, they're sitting in lounge chairs, drinking pina coladas and having the time of their life. And you're already sitting in the lifeboat and you know you're going to be fine and you know there's problems out there or you think that it's likely that there's trouble ahead. But if you try and convince your average friend or family member to throw their pina colada overboard and climb in the lifeboat with you, they're going to think you're insane. No matter what you tell them, most of them are just not going to believe you. It is simply human nature not to want to see bad news and to ignore it until it literally bites you in the face. In the line that I like to think about it, it it's from the movie Jaws where Richard Dreyfuss is Matt Hooper. is playing Matt Hooper. is talking to the mayor and they've got the shark attacks are now confirmed. He's seen the great white tooth, great white shark tooth, and he's trying to convince him to close the beaches. The mayor won't do it because, you know, it's tourist season and they need the money. 
And he, he has that famous line, so I'm familiar with the fact you're going to ignore this particular problem until it swims up and bites you on the ass. Uh, and that's just human nature. It, it, it's a good movie line, but uh, it's, it's, it's why your family members, why your normie family members have such a hard time listening to you when you've got all this knowledge and, and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to help them. You're trying to point them towards Bitcoin or, or any other time you might have been trying to help out a friend who just can't see what you're trying to say until it's too late. This is the reason normies are often referred to as sheep. They need the sheepdog, but they will often ignore the sheepdog until the wolves are charging at them. And then at the last minute, the sheepdogs have to save the day. You're the sheepdogs. You're sitting in the life. You're sitting in that lifeboat. Bitcoin is the life ref, but I digress. The point is it's often darkest right before the dawn and you're already here and we're already stacking sunshine. All right. One last bit of news before we get into two last bits of news. Before we get into stacking our DCA Wednesday stack, and this is just plain funny. If you remember Noriel Rabini, Dr. Doom, he's often credited with uh, forecasting the 2008 financial crisis. He's also a notorious Bitcoin hater, and he said that Bitcoin was the world's biggest scam. He called the 2022 bear market the crypto apocalypse. According to Yahoo Finance, he called Bitcoin the mother of all bubbles. And crypto, the biggest criminal heist in human history. And while I agree that crypto is a scam, he was referring to Bitcoin. He doesn't care about the S coins for the most part. Or at least he didn't, because now apparently Dr. Doom himself, Nuriel Rubini, is behind his own bouncing baby shitcoin. According to an article by Camilla Russo, published this afternoon on Yahoo Finance, headlined, Crypto critic Nuriel Rubini is launching a token. The economist known as Dr. Doom is the co-founder and chief economist behind Atlas Capital, which describes itself as a fintech company designing technology-driven solutions addressing macro, geopolitical, and climate risks. The project is enabled by AI, ML, climate technology, and blockchain. So wow, all the buzzwords, right? Usually all the buzzwords associated with scams. So if that isn't an example of the pot calling the kettle black, Nariel Rubini, Dr. Doom himself, Dr. Dr. Bitcoin is a scam. Dr. Bitcoin is the is uh, is the biggest scam in the world, and it's the it's a criminal heist. Is now launching his own S coin. Last but not least, and I'm not dunking on anyone because this is actually horrific, and not just because it involves MS NFTs, but because I I cringe even reading the headline. But if you haven't heard, attendees at the Bored Ape Yacht Club event in uh, I believe it was Hong Kong this weekend suffered many of them according to an article embassy says more than a dozen people who attended the board eight yacht club 3d event in hong kong over the weekend said they experienced eye pain and temporary vision loss due to ultraviolet light that blasted from the stage saturday night this claim the claim this claim is another notch in the nft purveyor's belt of chaos this isn't the only article that is saying that people have not only suffered eye damage but burns to their skin because Apparently, instead of having black lights, they ordered UV lights, uh, you know, to light up the, the glow-in-the-dark paint to create a festive atmosphere for their party. And while black lights are on the UV spectrum, it is a completely different thing to a high-powered UV light. For example, I have an ultraviolet light in the air handler of my air conditioning unit, and it is in there because it is so powerful, it kills bacteria. Here in Florida, it's moist and bacteria and mold like to grow everywhere. And we just had our AC and it replaced and the other one was absolutely filthy. So this one, we had a UV light installed because it will sterilize anything that shines on it, including your eyeballs. And there's a big warning right on the AC and it says, do not open this AC unit without turning the light off or without putting on specialized protective goggles because it will ruin your eyes. It will burn your retinas and make you go blind. So that, Man, I'm gritting my teeth even reading that headline because I'm particularly squeamish about my eyes for some reason, and uh, that's just horrific. But I don't want to say that's what you get for being the sort of chump that's in it and it's into NFTs. But uh, it's just funny, as the MSNBC puts it, the that it is another notch in the NFT purveyor's belt of chaos. Okay, moving right along to why we are here. We are here because today is DCA Wednesday. And for those of you just following us for the first time or do not already know, you might be asking, what is DCA? Well, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And DCA or dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 120th stack. We started our 
regular interval all the way on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021, more than two years ago. So we set our regular in- interval as weekly on Wednesdays, and we set our equal portion as just $20. And both of these are you-do-you things. We chose $20 because I wanted to show that even if you can only afford as little as $20, that by DCAing on a regular basis, eventually that $20 would add up to an appreciable stack of Satoshis, potentially a life-changing amount of Bitcoin one day. I think we've kind of already demonstrated demonstrated that. But again, this is a you-do-you thing. Obviously, Michael Saylor isn't going to be out there stacking $20 every Wednesday. So, uh, you know, as they say, don't invest any money that you can't afford to lose, any money that you're not, that you're not prepared to put into Bitcoin and hold for at least one full cycle, ideally forever. So, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with an amount that you can, that you can give up the amount that you're not going to need to pay your rent, to buy your groceries, especially in this economy. And whether you do so weekly, daily, or monthly, it's common for people to DC on paydays whenever they get paid their fiat job. So for most people that I know, that's every two weeks. So if you want to DCA every other week, you know, again, that's a you do you thing. We chose Wednesdays. And we chose $20. And so far, so far, those 119 Wednesdays have stacked a total of 2,380 US dollars, which includes $53.55 worth of fees. And it has accumulated a stack of 8,242,811 sats at an average cost basis of $28,873.65. So we're back in the green. Today, we're going to add another $20 stacking using the Cash App. Cash App is not a sponsor of the show. As you know, I've been using Cash App for the entire two and a half years we've been stacking, and that is because I think it's the easiest way for people in the United States to stack small amounts of Bitcoin. They have charged us uh, $55, what did I say, uh, $53.35 worth of fees over those 119 purchases. It works out about $0.45 a purchase because they charge about a two and a quarter percent fee. Nobody sells you something for nothing. So regardless of what exchange you're using, they either usually charge a fee or a spread or they get their money from you some other way. Cash App gets it from you up front in, in terms of that fee. But they let me transfer the Bitcoin to my hardware wallet for free, which I think kind of makes up for it. Again, they're not a sponsor. You do you. Cash App might not even be available where you're at. But we do have some links to a few uh, exchanges and apps in our show notes, such as Cash App, Strike, and even Fold. And if you're not using any of those services and you want to use them, please consider scrolling down through the show notes, clicking on our referral link to do so, because uh, you'll get something for doing for doing that. By the time you're listening to this, that might have changed. But for example, right now, you'll get like $5 for signing up for Cash App, and we'll get 5 bucks too for the referral. Again, they're not a sponsor. Everybody who uses these services gets a referral code. That's pretty standard with most services nowadays. Uh, but it's one way that you can help support the podcast, and you can get paid to help support the podcast. I've already got Cash App open and tapping on Bitcoin, tapping buy. And this time I have to manually enter $20. The choices are, are uh, 5, 10, 25, 50. So entering $20, tapping confirm, and boom! Just like that, we just stacked another 54,648 sats. I'm happy and I'm sad. I'm happy because we have 54,648 more sats, but I'm kind of sad because... Just a couple of weeks ago, that would have been 75,000 sats. As the price of Bitcoin goes up, we're going to get fewer and fewer sats uh, for, our, for our fiat. So, um, you know, that's part of the thing about dollar cost averaging. We, we bought all the way up to the all-time high, and then we bought all the way down to the cycle low. And now we're going to buy all the way up to the new all-time high. And as a result, we've stacked uh, now... 8,297,459 sats. And our average cost basis has gone up by a little more than $50. It's now $28,924.52, but still almost $7,000 cheaper than what the current price of Bitcoin is. And I remind you that the day we began our DCA Wednesday episode, Bitcoin was clocking in at $39,716. So you'd be still below your break-even point. You'd still be underwater had you YOLO'd in back on July 20th, 2021. And you'd have more than 2 million fewer sats. So... For now, at least, our experiment has been a raging success. And even if we stop now, uh, we still have significantly more sats than the average human being on Earth will be able to accumulate one day when we see hyper-Bitcoinization. 
Before we wrap this up, I want to reach out to you once again and ask you to follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. The more people that follow us on Twitter, the more people are likely to find out about this podcast and the more likely you are to help us help people keep become orange pilled. Perhaps as importantly, last episode I mentioned that we had tried new podcast artwork for two episodes. And during that time, our listenership, our podcast listens, our downloads, not our downloads, but our listens went down by almost 50%. And I, I speaking of unintended, I mentioned unintended consequences earlier when we were talking about you know, taproot and segwit and, or tap, taproot and, uh, and uh, taproot, I guess, ordinals and inscriptions. I think we had some unintended consequences on that art switch up because people scrolling through didn't see our big blue podcast logo and said they saw a black and orange podcast logo and scrolled right on by. Leggy reached out to us on Twitter, commenting on our post saying that even he had scrolled by uh, because that didn't, our new logo didn't pop like the blue one. And even though he'd seen on Twitter that we were, that we were trying out new podcast artwork for the time being, even they missed it. So if you were following us on Twitter, however, you would have seen that we were, that we were experimenting with that new, with that new, uh, with that new artwork. We're back to our old artwork and we're going to stay there while we continue to assess or evaluate whether that's really the reason that we had a big drop off on those, on listenership on those previous two episodes. Uh, but it's just a great way to keep in touch with us. And you can also reach out and DM me at BTC Bulletin Pod and let me know things like how you say hello or thank you or customary greeting in whatever country you're listening from. Or you can let me know what you like about the podcast or what you don't like about the podcast. And if you're somebody that isn't on Twitter or X, it's always going to be Twitter, just like the Sears Tower in Chicago is always going to be the Sears Tower. Uh, if you're not a Twitter person, you can also reach out to me on email. And our email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. That isn't as good of a way of keeping up with this podcast because obviously you're not getting email from me, but I still would like to hear from you if you have comments, opinions, suggestions, or you just want to reach out and say hi. Of course, like Leggy did, you can also do so. You can also reach out in the form of a boost by listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. That helps support the podcast. And as long as it's nothing obscene, profane, or illegal, uh, we will read your boost out on the following DCA Wednesday episode. And speaking of DCA Wednesday episodes, we will be stacking again next Wednesday and every Wednesday, as long as there are sats out there to purchase. Occasionally we throw those bonus episodes in like we did over the weekend on November 5th with our remember, remember the 5th of November episode. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>